This is Not True But Useful, a podcast from Cheek by Jowl. My name is Lucy Dawkins and I've been chatting to artistic directors Declan Donlan and Nick Ormerod about all they have discovered about life and theatre in four decades of making plays all over the world. In this episode, Declan and I sat down to talk about a question which we've heard a lot from listeners. Hello, Declan. Hello, Lucy. So today I thought it might be useful for us to talk about a question which was recently posed to you by an actor, which is, what does an actor do when they can't seem to feel what the character is feeling? It's something I hear quite a lot from actors, maybe after the run of a show where things didn't go quite as we wanted it to, and an actor will say, oh, I just wasn't really feeling any of it. What would you say to an actor who says, I just can't seem to feel it? I think that the problem that we experience in the rehearsal room is actually a problem that's present in life. I can only say what's worked for me. I had the huge privilege at school to have um, two or three teachers who talked me through some Shakespeare plays, and it wasn't what they gave me that was so precious. What was precious was what they took away. Sometimes taking something away from somebody can be an enormous gift. What they took away from me was my right to be embarrassed facing these big texts and to be embarrassed saying these big words and to be embarrassed with these sort of huge thoughts. And they took away my self-consciousness. As Yeats says, there's more enterprise in in walking naked. And when I rehearse, um, that's what I try to help the actors do as well. Hopefully that spirit passes through me. But there's another thing that I'd like to talk about, which is never discussed, because I think it's really quite taboo. And that is that one of the intimidating things about these great plays is they seem to be about people who have this fantastic flow with their emotions, that they they have these Everest feelings. I remember a director once saying to me about um, doing Agamemnon, it's a real Everest. I think we get we can get very intimidated by people being emotional and that we feel that we ought to be emotional. And sometimes we can be ashamed because we don't really feel anything at all. And sometimes when you see somebody apparently expressing a huge passion on stage, it's good to sort of look again and see that sometimes it's more like they want to feel it than they feel it and that the feeling itself is they're performing it in order to feel it. So are you then suggesting that these characters in, say, Shakespeare's plays who seem to be feeling these huge emotions are actually characters who are struggling from feeling empty and trying to feel things. Exactly. And in Hamlet, for example, he has this explosion on stage when he discovers his uncle's murdered his father. He's a bloody, bawdy villain, remorseless, treacherous, lecherous, kindless villain, oh, vengeance. It's quite hard to remember that. I always get misquoted and get it wrong. Bloody, bawdy villain, remorseless, treacherous, lecherous, kindless villain. I think the treacherous, lecherous um, gives it away, really. He's like trying to work himself into a passion. Um, He's trying to work himself to have feelings. And I I suspect that he feels he doesn't feel anything at all, really, Hamlet. Or or whatever he feels, it's certainly not appropriate. I think it can help us hugely... Um, as a key to get into the characters in plays. Because why should Hamlet and Lear and Othello and Lady Macbeth and Cleopatra, why should they be essentially different beings from us? Obviously, every human being is different, but the sort of huge tectonic clashes that take place with an individual are, very often there are things that are similar. 
So one of the things I think that binds us together is a kind of hidden shame about not feeling anything at all. And we hide this from other people because it's embarrassing if you don't feel anything at all. You know. So I think what's really refreshing about this is that it's actually really useful to the actor when they don't feel anything because it's something that they've got in common with the character. Exactly, exactly, exactly. Because you don't feel it. You shouldn't necessarily feel ashamed. You think maybe that's the problem with the character as well. When Hamlet speaks those lines, um, when I first read them, you know, I, I thought, oh my God, you know, he's in such a passion, he's in such a passion. And later I thought, no, he doesn't, I think he probably doesn't feel anything at all. Um, there is an extraordinary moment in Hamlet when a group of um, actors comes to the, the castle at Elsinore. So Hamlet sees the, the player king act this incredibly passionate speech. And he, he, he's, he's really thunderstruck by this incredible emotional immediacy that the actor has and he says how is it possible that this actor can act this feeling when, when it's all completely fake and I who've got the course I can't act it at all and it's it, his horror is being completely empty and the sad thing is that there's nobody there to say to him that's okay that's what it's like to be a human being for me that's a problem in rehearsal that the actors often all alone feeling actually quite frightened that they're not feeling anything at all, not feeling enough, not getting deep enough into the truth of the character's emotions. And um, you want to say, don't worry about that. Perhaps the character has the same problem. Perhaps the character doesn't really feel very much or feels the wrong thing or is trying to have, feel the thing that's appropriate to the situation. But that there's, a, there's, a, there's a gap between us and our feelings. Like, Is it the right feeling? Is it the wrong feeling? And what I often say to actors, and it has proved very useful sometimes, is say, well, why don't you make your problems the character's problems? See if you can make that work. See if that opens any doors for you. And very often, it magically does. I think an interesting way, for example, of looking at that first scene in King Lear, when Lear asks which of his daughters loves him most so he can decide how to divide up the country. It's, I mean, completely bizarre. Except the problem is it's not really bizarre because <laughs> we always want to know how much we're loved and if people are feeling very insecure, they want you to say how much you love them and you can never say it. So, you know, you can have terrible routes with somebody saying, show me you love me, tell me how much you love me. And you, it's not really something that can be told. It's something that you intuit and that you feel through intimacy of contact or whatever. So this impossible situation is set up in Lear's Court, which I have to say is a pretty daily occurrence. It's not, once you think about it, it's not so unusual. Um, and I think that that revolves around the word nothing that Cordelia comes out with. But I think it's a scene about people feeling absolutely nothing. And, and they feel nothing because they think an awful lot about themselves. They get self-obsessed in their fear. It's the fear that makes us self-obsessed. And you end up not being able to empathize with other people or, ha or have any feeling. I, I'm not incidentally pointing a finger here. Um, I'm no better than this myself. But it's, it's worthwhile being conscious of when you direct a play like that. So I don't think you need to be working yourself up into these savage passions of emotion. And so this also seems really obvious in Macbeth, right at the very end of the play. Um, he hears women crying uh, somewhere in the castle and he turns around and says it's brilliant I don't fear anything anymore I don't feel anything when I hear terrible sounds I'm such a badass mm -hmm. and then he finds out 30 seconds later that the women are crying because Lady Macbeth is dead mm -hmm. and he still doesn't feel anything mm -hmm. and it terrifies him and he comes out with tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow, creeps on this petty pace from day to day. 
and says a terrible thing, which is, she should have died hereafter, there would have been a time for such a word. He's feeling so empty and so blank and realising that he wished he could grieve. Mm. And that emptiness that he was celebrating two minutes before is now devastating. One of the most amazing speeches in that entire play comes out of this emptiness. Yes, it does. But I think we should be careful not to judge Macbeth because he doesn't feel anything. Because I, I think it's not just bad people who don't feel anything. I think it's what, what happens to all of us. And we very often judge ourselves to be bad people if we don't feel you know, enough outrage, enough grief, enough empathy. We can torture ourselves because we're not producing the right thing inside. And that manifests itself very much in rehearsal. There's a, f a feeling that we have in the theatre that theatre should somehow reflect life, and that's fine. And I'm not saying don't think that. But I'm saying maybe take five minutes to turn the thought on its head and maybe think that actually life reflects theatre. That's a dangerous place where Shakespeare goes, is that it's not like theatre's like life. All the world is a stage. <laughs> and all the men and women are merely players. <laughs> no, but it's not like... He's not actually saying, you know, it's almost as if the world's a stage. He's saying, no, actually, the world is a stage. And actually, our, a lot of our feelings are actually quite performed. Sometimes we feel ashamed that we've, because we performed something, it's not sincere. But I think there's a performance element always in um, feelings. And very often people won't cry unless they're in public you know, that, that sometimes we cry on our own, but sometimes we have to be talking to somebody. I know that I've had, I've been told, you know, a friend has died whom I love very much and being quite shocked at feeling nothing um, apart from sort of emptiness and um, not even numbness. I mean, even numbness would be to feel something, to feel actually absolutely nothing, like what are we going to have for dinner? And then I went into the whole thing of... Um, you know, you, you start organising the funeral, you go pay the respects, you sort of write letters. I was asked to do the eulogy. I stood up on the altar. Um, and I started um, to, to, to speak about her. And I'd done it all totally dry-eyed, without a shred of feeling. I suppose kind of fake sad, or the feeling I'm supposed to feel when somebody I love dies. And then I started to do the eulogy and looked into the eyes of the people that I'd known, whom we'd all known this woman together. and. Like halfway through, I started to cry, and it was terrible. And I limped through to the end of it. The, the awful thing was that it was in the communicating of it that the feeling that had been uh, dammed up in me, I think, burst forth. It, 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 was, it was weird. It was like in public. And that's why um, I think funerals are hard and so crucial for people, because you look into other people's eyes and it's in the performance. You, know, you actually discover what you feel. Somebody I know that I'm extremely close to, um, her husband died, and she looked at me and she said, Declan, tell me what to feel. I don't feel anything. And it's actually, I think, one of those human things I ever heard, that there's something about not knowing what you feel and not feeling anything, and kind of feeling ashamed that you don't feel anything. I'm not saying that happens all the time. And I know some people maybe have a wonderful connection to their feelings and know exactly what they feel. They just don't happen to make it into the plays that I direct, I don't think. I, I remember being amazed to discover, you know, the expression at university about the 19th century novel, the unreliable narrator. I thought, oh, this is amazing, that a narrator can be unreliable. How is that possible? <laughs> you realise that everybody... 
in all of the great plays, they're all unreliable narrators. And then afterwards we realize that that's what we are. We're all unreliable narrators. If I try, if I tell you the story of my life, the story I've constructed <laughs> about it, I mean, however sincere, however truthful I try to be, it'll be a work of fiction. I'll be a totally unreliable narrator about it. So we kind of need to remember that. So what these people say is very often what they like to feel. But I, do, I think this thing of the absence of feeling is really key to getting into lots of characters that you just don't feel what you're supposed to be feeling. The danger is that the actor will imagine that the character is completely emotionally fluent. There are many things that actors assume about characters that are very dangerous to assume. One is that um, the characters are completely emotionally fluent. One is that when the actor says, I'm afraid, it means that they're afraid. Or that I'm angry means that they're angry. Because how do they know? You know, if somebody says, I'm really angry, um, how do you know? Because you might actually be very afraid. And sometimes when people are very afraid, in fact, the real cause is they're actually so angry about something else. So it's quite, it's very difficult for any of us to be amateur psychologists and sort out what other people feel. It's kind of just dangerous because we don't know. So one of the dangers is um, thinking that the character has perfect access to feelings. But there are many other things like this. This character perfectly belongs in the community in which they are. This character doesn't feel excluded by anybody. This character doesn't feel they're not cool enough to be in this world. I mean, all those things that will um, torment actors at the lunch break are actually quite useful sometimes to put straight into the character. They torment me too, instead, not just the actors. Um, you know, nobody thinks I'm funny. Well, that's sort of, you know, that's quite useful if you're playing Hamlet. But there, there are many things like this that when we feel our own shame, when we feel ourselves diminished because we're in the company of these giants, maybe actually we should look at it the other way around and think that we're only doing these plays because they're about people who are actually basically about us and that these situations aren't so remote and that what happens in the first scene between Lear and his daughters happens it's probably a daily occurrence when we want to be told how much we're loved. And on that note, I think that's a good place to end for today. So thank you very much, Declan. See you next week, Lucy. Thank you for listening to this bonus episode of Not True But Useful. And if you've got questions you'd like to pose to Declan Donnellan or Nick Ormerod, don't forget you can always post them at Cheek by Jowl on Twitter or Instagram, and maybe we'll cover them in a future episode. In the meantime, you can always head over to the Cheek by Jowl website to find past series of this podcast, as well as videos and images of Cheek by Jowl's performances. The music you're hearing now was composed by Sergei Chekrashov for Cheek by Jowl's production of Three Sisters. Three Sisters.